learning, of course, by Yisrael. And we're going to learn for the soldiers and for the captives that everybody should be safe. Specifically, there's a few people that the father of um, Fader, Michael Fader, you know, David's brother, has two sons, two children who are heavily in, in his, right now in combat. So he asked me if when we learn or say to him, the boy's name is Natan Ben Mayamalko, and the daughter's name is Batsheva Bas Mayamalko. Everything should be good for them. And Hashivenu guy he used to learn here, but now he uh, he's there, he's married, and there. His name is Yeshua Shlomo Halevi Ben Blimo Rivka. Everything should be good with him. Also, Barak Netanel Ben Leah Devara. Also, I was given this name from an organization called Shomer, where they give you the names of soldiers to daven for. Benjamin Mayer Ben Rachel Pesi. And finally, a good close friend of mine, Cliff Wachtel, has two, um, two sons-in-law who are fighting. Yoshua Moshe Ben Michal. And Abichael Shlomo Usher David Ben Shelley Sara. And Eitan Eitan Dov Ben No, Mother. Oh, Mother? Bracha. Yeah, we don't want to go with that way. So listen to this. This is crazy. This is the. I saw this, and is this? This is a very highly sensitive thought. In the no, in Noach in the table, right? Noach's in the table. There's a bird that flies out. What was the bird? The first time a bird flies away. It's the Yonah. It says Velo Motza Yonah Menoch Akaf Raglav, and the Yonah didn't find a place to rest its feet because it was still, you know, water all over. Vateshev Elov El Hateva. So it went back to the Teva. Kimayma Pinearis. Why? Because there was water all over the world. So that's what it says. So there's the next Pasuk goes to show you a certain level of sensitivity, which is just, just crazy. This was this is this was given by Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, the Nitziv. The Pasuk says and Noah went and he took out his hand and he took the bird and he brought the bird into the table which means that the bird flew near the table but didn't go back in the table and the Nitziv learned from this that sometimes you send somebody to do something for you. Let's say you have a Mexican worker. A nice guy. Doesn't have to be Mexican. It could be any type of worker. I don't know why I said Mexican. You say, no, you just hired somebody from Mexico. And from Honduras. And the guy means well. He really does well. But he doesn't accomplish what you want him to do. So we're supposed to learn from this pasuk. To go and take him, make him feel good. Yes, he didn't do what he wanted. He knows that, 
You know that. Everybody knows that. But you still have to treat a worker in the proper way with respect even if he doesn't accomplish what you want. We're not talking now about workers that are being dishonest and stealing and, and, and not working you know, the amount of time that they're supposed to be. We're talking about a guy. He does his best, and it just didn't work well. So the, so you, the, the Nitzvah says about this that you see from here that you really have to be careful because a worker can get very sensitive and really feel like he's giving it all and and he's just not he just wasn't successful. Not necessarily his fault. Let's talk a little bit about this situation. So you guys have heard of Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz, right? We all know Rav Gamliel? A little bit. Rav Gamliel is this big Nakubal. He is the Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva HaMekubalim, the Mekubal Yeshiva Char in Jerusalem. Shar Shemayim. He is like real. This is not one of those hokey, you know, hokey Mekubalim that you're saying to yourself, like, I don't know. You know, like sometimes when you're driving on the highway and or on the road and you see on Queens Boulevard and it says, you know, reader and it says Ruth the reader, and you're saying to yourself, like, if you're so good at this, then why don't you know the lottery ticket numbers? You know, if you're so good at reading everything, you shouldn't have to have a little dinky office in the middle of Ridgewood. You should be, you know, have some other type of location. So when it comes to the problems, sometimes you don't know if they're real or not, and sometimes there are charlatans, there are fake. But Gamliel's not. He's a... Uh, Major, major, major McCubble. <clears throat> so he says that people asked him all the time, like, what should we be working on? And Rav Gamliel said, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, I am a pretty chilled guy. In general, I'm pretty chilled. But since the onset of this war, I have not been so chilled. I feel the genie of anger sometimes, or edginess. I don't have anxiety. Does anybody here other than me not have anxiety? In general? You, know, you don't have anxiety in general, do you? No. Anybody? This one certainly doesn't have anxiety. Okay. <laughs> I, have, I don't have anxiety, but I have a little bit. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it coming up in the chest sometimes. So Rav Gamliel said that the Gemara, it's fascinating, the Gemara says that during the time of Ahav. Ahav was the e most evil, he's known as the most evil king of Israel. Of the he was actually the north of Israel. But when we think about an evil king in Jewish history, Ahav is who we think about usually. Bad. Bad. The Gemara says that his army was loaded with idolaters, and yet they were successful while Shoal's army was loaded with righteous tzaddikim, and they were not successful in battle. So the says, why is that? You would imagine that Shoal's army loaded with tzaddikim, they should be successful, and, and Ahav not. And the Gemara says, because there was Shalom between the soldiers of Ahav, and there was not Shalom between the soldiers of Shoal. Should be, and therefore, he, Rav Gamliel, learns from that 
He said, you know, like, show them in the house is such a big deal. And right now, I got to tell you, you guys don't understand because you never had a fight with your wife. Okay, you never had in your whole life. You don't even know. You're getting married. He's getting married this a week from tonight. So you should not listen to this because husbands and wives never fight and they never bicker. It never happened. It never happened. You're getting married in a couple of weeks. No such thing. Husbands and wives are only, they walk down all day long. Everybody is just in heaven. There's no, there, and, and the wives, by the way, the wives never correct. You know that, right? Everybody knows that the, the wives never correct the husbands. Never. It's an amazing thing. Never. All they do is whatever the husband says that they like, the, the wife says, yes, dear, please, of course. How do they say that in Georgian? Yes, dear. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the answer. Okay. Yeah, so he said that Shalom bias is such a hard thing right now because there's so much tension inside and like the reaction is you just react. <coughs> so Rav Gamliel said that it says that if you, if, if you yell down here on this earth at your wife, at your children, if you yell, then in heaven, in Shomayim, they yell at you. And then Rav Gamliel said, we do not want anybody yelling at us. Bad. So we all have to work super extra on it. So that's one thing. Then I want to tell you a story that happened with me in the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Because I think it's a second issue. So on one side, on one side, we have to really keep the peace and make sure we don't lose the temper. How many people can say that they've lost their temper recently? Just me. Just me. That's it. Nobody else. Okay. Now, chill is coming. Chill. Is it chill? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it in there. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. I really be careful about this. So, then there's the other angle. Even though we are anxious and even though we're nervous about everything, we can't let the kids and the wives and everybody know that we're scared. Because the leader and every one of us is a leader in the family. And that's not because male, female. Your wife is also a leader in the family. She also shouldn't let the kids feel like the fear and the anxiety of what's going on. But it's very important because the kids pick it up. They really know. So you have to really, like, you know, be in control with yourself. So I want to tell you a story that happened. And I, okay, I'm married. And at that time, we're going back 38 years ago. And I used to go to all the big Lubavitch, and I lived here, but I went to Yeshiva in Brooklyn. And I used to go to all the big Lubavitcher Fabrengans. But the big Fabrengans, the Rebbe used to give a Fabrengan every Shabbos. But that was like a local small, when I say small, the, the people in Crown Heights, I'll make up a number, 5,000 people. You know what I mean? Small. Yeah, small. No, I mean, I'm saying the word 5,000 because I don't know how many people live in Crown Heights. Maybe it was 3,000. Okay. But that's what it was, a local, you know. And then from time to time, you have the big fabrengans, like Yudhis Kislev. You know Yudhis Kislev is? That's the, the Rosh Hashanah, the, the Balatan, you got out of jail. That's like the, that is like the 4th of July for Hasidim, you know. Um, <clears throat> then you had, you have other, for me? I think it, it went to a call. I don't know if it turned off, if it was recording. Well, 
We'll find that. It works. You know, so the Rebbe would have these big Fabrengans. The big Fabrengans would have 10,000, 15,000 people at it. You know, they had a, a system where you would rent a radio, if you did, a portable radio if you didn't have one, an FM, and within a radius of like four or five blocks, you could listen to the Fabrengan on the radio. If you put on your, in those days, in the car, they had FM radios. Can you imagine? FM radios. You put on the FM radio and you would hear WLLC, Lubavitch, you know, uh, communicate, LCC, Lubavitch Communication Corporation. And then you see that you'd hear the Rebbe. That's what happened, you know? So I used to push, like everybody else, I used to push and push to get in for all the people. You did that or you weren't around during those days? Pushed like a horse to get into the Rebbe. One day I said to my, I, I just realized, hey, I go back and forth to Brooklyn every day. The Rebbe Dobbins Mincha and Meyerev, right next to his office. He had in the in seven seventy had an office, and right next to his office there was a little base medrash. The little base medrash was about a third of this room, about I'd say about a third of this room, and the Rebbe used to daven Mincha Meyerev there. Now here comes the kicker. The real Hasidim didn't daven with the Rebbe because it's like, you know, you, you don't want to get too close to the Rebbe. It's not covered in. So you had the Bachrim, but they wouldn't sit right next to the Rebbe. The Rebbe davened in the corner. The, the, the way it was, was in the corner, let's say this was the corner of the room, the Rebbe would daven there, and then you'd have like five rows were empty because nobody wanted to get close to the Rebbe, except for moi, I decided. <laughs> What am I doing? Pushing my head to get into 770 and if I bring in, getting trampled on, you know what I mean? Why am I... One second, please. Hi, Toes. Good night, Judy Pie. You're the best. Bye-bye. Why in the world should I break my head when I can go diving with the Rebbe? And once I'm there already, why not sit next to the Rebbe? So I sat, literally, like I'm sitting from here to you. Because... You can't really sit next to him, you know what I mean? And like say, you know, do you have any notes you want to give me? You know, you can't do that. You know, like have a tissue maybe. <laughs> you can't do that. But you could sit right there. Yeah. So I literally was like from here to where you are. So I would see the grandpa's little curls. He had curly hair that you would see under his hat, you know. And I would, you know, I would just see things because I was like, I would do this a couple times a week, you know. And then, and I noticed something. This is very strange, and I, I confirmed this with somebody this week. When the rebel would stand up for Shimon Esrei, well, first of all, he didn't daven long. It was really fast. It was faster Shimon Esrei than I daven. It was like you know, and he wasn't going winding up. You ever see the people in a big wind up or the propeller? No, no, <laughs> he didn't do that. He was like very, like very, you know, like that, and it was quick. But when he would, he had a stender, <coughs> and the stender, he would have his hands on the stender like this, you know. And um, I didn't really know, pay attention to it, but I did notice that he didn't have his hands on the on the stender. And then one day, he opened up his hands, a hand, and it was shaking. And. I don't know, because I didn't ask the Rebbe, like, hey, is that why you're doing this? But 
to me, it was like a father that doesn't want to show his kids his weakness, you know? Father doesn't want to let the kids know that he's like, I don't want to, that he's getting old. You know? <clears throat> so to me, that's what the Rebbe was doing. Because the Hasidim would have gotten really freaked out if they saw his hands going like what that. What year was that? This is right before he got sick. Hmm. This is in the upper 80s, like 87, 88. You know, he wasn't a youngster in those days, you know. So. People with Parkinson's officially. Yeah, I, no, I, he didn't have Parkinson's, but as you get older, you know. So I'm just saying, to me, that, that was a message of how do you relate to your children, to your students? Do you let them, like, do you, like, do you tell your kids to not, tomorrow morning, I don't know, because when I grew up, we were worried about nuclear war, so we were told to go under the, 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 the tables in school. It's true. But, but, but listen, little Yossi, um, who's five years old, we might have a nuclear war, so I don't know what to tell you, because the table's not going to help. So, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? So, like, you, you know, you don't want to do that to the kids. You have to protect them that they shouldn't be nervous either. By the way, that's true. We used to have drills in the 19... It was in the 60s. You'd have drills to go under the tables. You know about this? Yeah, go on Yeah, no, this is really true. You'd go under the tables. And they also had, in the public schools, there were... You know, public schools that were designated as nuclear shelters, and they'd have that little that yellow black sign in the black box. Yeah, that's really going to help going into a public school for a nuclear. If there's a nuclear war, oh yeah, it's going to really, really help the situation. Okay, so what I want to do now, we got we got two things we're going to accomplish. <coughs> the first, I'm going to do it a little bit inside and a little bit outside. Okay, I'm going to read you the Rashi. If you want to follow along, please. This is the, we're going to read the Rashi together. We're going to we're going to hear the question because the question is as clear as daylight. It's been bothering this question has been bothering me for about forty years, or at least thirty years. And to compound the question, I'm going to tell you outside a famous Gemara that I've already taught you guys. And then I'm going to tell you what the Lubavitch Rebbe says about it, and I can read it to you. It's even better. We'll read it to you in uh, inside because it's really a good answer. Okay, so it says over here. Let's just read it together. First pasuk. Ela told us Noah. This is the history. Of somebody there? Yeah. <coughs> Ela told us Noah. These are the generations of Noah. And then it says, Noah is tzaddik. Noah was a righteous man. He's a tzaddik. And then it says, Tamim He was perfect in his generation. That's what it says. Okay? Rashi asks the question here. It says that Noah was perfect in his generation. So Rashi is going to focus on that extra word. If I say that Ari is the strongest in his generation, so you would probably say, why does it say generation? What is the meaning of the word generation? 
You know, it's, it seems like an extra word. It should just say that Noah was a tzaddik. Why does it say the word in his generation? It's a famous question. So if you look at Rashi, Bidorosov, that's the second Rashi, he says, They are those people that when they talk about Noah, they talk about it in a, they give him the, uh, a compliment that certainly if he was in a different generation, yeah, in his generation he was a tzaddik, but if he would be in a different generation, oh my gosh, he'd be such a tzaddik. So in other words, if you're a tzaddik in Gaza, right, then you're going to be a real tzaddik in Yerushalayim. That's the idea. If you're able to be a tzaddik <coughs> in his generation where everybody was all messed up, then certainly you're going to be a tzaddik in, in, in a time period where everybody is really good. So that's one way of looking at it. The other way is lignai. The other way is negatively. Yeah, lefidor tzaddik. Yeah, sure, he was a tzaddik where he was. Yeah, in, in Gaza he was a tzaddik because... He wasn't uh, going around and raping and killing people. But that doesn't mean that if he would be in the generation of, of Avraham that he'd be considered such a tzaddik. It's in his generation. So for that, he's, he's considered tzaddik. Okay? You, you've heard this interpretation. How do you look at it? How do you look at Noah? Which way? So we have a problem with that. What is the problem? There's a problem with, with this whole thing. Now, again, we have two people, Rab and Shmuel, one says that, yeah, he was a tzaddik and his generation, and if he would be in another time, in a better place, he would have been better. But the other one says, and if he would have been in a bad, if he was, he was in his generation, he was a tzaddik, but in another generation, he'd be a nothing. He'd be nothing. So what's the problem with this? Maybe I'm not explaining it well. The problem is, let me go, we'll go with the question. I'll give you the question, and then maybe it'll fit in. We have an idea that you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. You're obligated to give the, the, to judge somebody favorably. Says You must give a fellow Jew the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> so here you have a person who. The Bible says that God says that he is a righteous person. He's a tzaddik. And you have two ways of judging him. One way is to say, yeah, he was righteous where he was. And you know what? He'd even be better in another situation, in a different gen generation. That's one way of doing it. The other way is to say, where he was, he was righteous. But really, he wasn't so good. And compared to somebody from a different place, he'd be nothing. So why give why judge Noah in a bad light? Why judge him unfavorably? Do you have the question or not so well? Let's do it again. You got two ways to look at Noah. Noah could have been better in a different generation, or you know, he was good where he was, he would have even I'm saying he would have even been better. The other way is to say he wasn't so good. He wasn't so good, really. It's just where he was, in the middle of, of a sewer, he was better than other people. But he really wasn't that good, you know? So that's the question. I don't know if you guys like the question so much. The answer of the Babich Rebbe is, we're going to go to the next subject, the next one. But the answer the Rebbe said is that...
you got to give people the benefit of the doubt. But there was a problem that Noah had, and that was that he didn't go and dominate for the people to do true. He did not do that. And because he didn't do that, we, we want to judge him favorably, but you can't entirely judge him favorably because we have to go beyond our little four corners of the world and we have to see the bigger picture. But this did not go down that you don't like this, this question so much. I can feel it's not, it's not getting there. So we'll go on to the next thing. The Gemara says over here, and there's another line. It says that Noah was Miktane Amuna. Rashi says that he didn't really believe so much. It says that he believed, but he didn't really believe so much. Miktane Amuna. That's what Rashi says. Let me ask a question. Why didn't Noah act like Abraham? Abraham is told by God that Sodom is going to be destroyed, right? Abraham is told that Sodom is going to be destroyed. Now, the people of Sodom were antithetical to Abraham. Abraham does his, spends his whole life doing chesed, right? Making soup kitchens. He does everything everything he can to help society, even people who are really bad. I mean, think about the Sodom people. They had the Sodom beds, right? You remember in school they told you about the Hachnosas Orchim the, of, of, of Sodom, that they had these beds. If the guy was tall, they would chop off his legs when he would come to their house. Do you remember that? No? Kindergarten. You remember? Kindergarten. You don't remember? First grade, second. Okay, and then they have the other beds. If the guy was short, they stretch his legs, right? right? The Gemara says that there was once a woman, and she did the terrible, terrible sin that they, they had a law in Sodom that if anybody from the outside would ask for a favor, you weren't allowed to give them anything. So somebody came to this woman and asked her for some salt. So, and this is in Sodom, the Dead Sea. There's a hell of a lot of salt down in the Dead Sea in that area. So she gives the guy a little salt. They found out about it, and they stripped her and put honey all over her body and put her on the roof of the house, and she was stung to death. That's the good people of Sodom. So Abraham goes, and Abraham prays for the, the people of Sodom that maybe God doesn't want to kill them because maybe there are some good people there. So Avram's going, you know, and he's praying, and yet you have Noah, and what's Noah doing? Noah didn't pray for the people. Why not? Why not? What was going on? So the Caduceus lady says that he <coughs> had low self-esteem. He had no confidence. He had, when it says that he didn't believe it's talking about believing in himself. He didn't believe that he had the power to change the world and that his prayers could actually influence God's desire to do things. Not desire, but that he could influence God. He did not believe that about himself. And therefore, he didn't even try because he didn't believe that it would do anything at all. So we have to learn from that that we could that we absolutely could. Now here comes the, the Gemara, we're gonna do the Gemara at the end.
that I told you that somebody stopped me with a question. Okay. Page two that you all have. It's the famous, famous Gemara in Sanhedrin. <clears throat> the Gemara Sanhedrin is talking, it's okay. The Gemara Sanhedrin over here is talking about world famous converts. Okay? And the Gemara says that there are a bunch of people who came from really, really bad places and they converted and they became, then their children became very, very, very famous. Okay? So we're going to read this Gemara. Because this guy asked me a question. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. It's on the bottom here. The two dots, two lines. It's the second line from the, uh, of the fat, second fat lines. It says, Tanarabon and the rabbis learned. That's uh, four lines, four, four from, the, uh, from the end of the, first, uh, of the second line. So the Gemara says over here, Tanarabon and the rabbis learned. Nevuz, yeah. It says, Namon Gertoshavoya, this person, Namon who, okay. Nevuzaradin Gertsedekoya. Do you guys know who Nevuzaradin was? Nevuzaradin, okay, the first temple is, uh, is being destroyed. Nevuzaradin is the general who destroyed the first Beis Hamikdash. Okay? He goes into the Beis Hamikdash and he sees the Parochas, and there's blood that's coming out of it, and the blood is literally boiling, it's bubbling. And he asked, what's going on here? And they told him that this was the blood of some animals. He didn't believe it. And he started slaughtering people. And he goes down in history that he killed tens of thousands of people. He was known as the butcher of the first base on Mikdash, the, the butcher. He is terrible. Totally, the, like, he's like the equivalent of like Hitler or all these guys. All of a sudden, he decides that he's gonna convert. And he goes and he converts. And it's a crazy, crazy thing. From him is another person called Sisra. Sisra attacked Israel. And he also goes, and he also become, he converts. And he has, and his grandchildren learn Torah. And though the, his grandchildren were people called Shemaya and Atalia, who were the Rebbe's, they were the Rebbeim of Hillel and Shammai. Then the Gemara says that the grandchildren of Haman, they converted, and they learned Torah in B'nai Brak. So you got yourself the butcher who destroyed the Beis HaMikdash, who did the actual fighting. Nebuchadnezzar, who goes down as the king, he didn't do this. You know, he didn't do the, the dirty work. He had this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who converted. You have the Haman, converts to Judaism. Uh, not him, his, 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 his grandchildren. And then the Gemara says that even Nebuchadnezzar wanted to convert, but, the, but God said, no, can't do that. So this guy said to me, if the head 
of Isis or the head of I mean that's what this is these guys were this they were the same as Hitler these people that's what they were if they wanted to convert would we convert them would we convert them now we're talking about a sincere conversion obviously we're not talking about them falling in love with some some girl from a kibbutz that they just didn't kill but seriously would we convert them Gamora seems to say, yeah, if it was serious. Now, I don't know any Bezin that would do it. I can't imagine anybody walking in from, you know, from Hamas into the Badats of Yushalayim and say, listen, okay, you know, I'm ready for you to cut me. You know, give me a bris. I, I can't imagine. Maybe they would give him a bris. He's already <laughs> thinking we could make a new... Uh, Mifsa of giving bris mila to Hamas yeah, members that want to convert. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm, I'm serious. <coughs> there's no nation on this earth that would ever accept such <coughs> people that did such damage to their nation to come into their nation, assuming they're legitimate. This Gemara is telling us that they were legitimate people, but they became part of the Jewish nation eventually. So the so it's a very interesting thing. The Maharal talks about this, like why would God let this happen, that they can convert, that their that their great grandchildren or whatever could convert, and he says it's very interesting. He says that these evil doers had a lot of they had a lot of power, they had a lot of creativity. I mean, when you think about the evilness of some of these people. The, the, it's diabolical, but it but it is in some way genius in, in some way. So Hashem wants that that like that genius in a kosher way. The knowledge, you know, like it, genetically, it's passed down from father to son. These you know the ability to you know be creative and and if the people be, do tshuva. If they do tshuva and they can bring the their those energies with them for the sake of heaven, then God says that's a good thing. If they're really sincere, is that a crazy is that a crazy thought? It's a little crazy, a little out there, but it is there. It's never going to happen practically, but I just wanted to raise that thought to everybody. Yeah. Okay, let's stop on that. We have to raise our thoughts. We have to raise our thoughts. What? Now we have to raise our thoughts. We need a little higher wisdom. Yeah, we have to take the wisdom that we got from our parents and we have to bring it to. No, the first time I dominated was. Jody. Thank you for coming.